0: Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Film Ruminations podcast. Uh, my name is Jason, and uh, this is a very special episode uh, for me. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on this podcast. Uh, I know that I have on others. Um, I am a, a Christian, and I was asked a few weeks ago to give a sermon about movies, because that's what our summer uh, series is, and so I was trusted enough to... Put together a double feature for church and i just wanted to i wanted to present this here as an episode i understand that this might not make you comfortable and you might want to just turn this off right now i get that no hard feelings at all uh, i hope that you could get uh something out of it i hope that um, if nothing else you know a little bit more about myself uh, you might also note that the content here is toned down a little bit uh from uh, cinephile, which I imagine the majority of you listeners might be down to more of a novice level, general audience sort of uh, presentation. So, I again, I want to bring this to you guys. Uh, I'm proud of this. It took me a very long time uh, to write this, so I hope that you do listen. I would love if you got something out of it, if you have any questions. By all means, uh, reach out to me. Um, I'd love to, to chat about it. Anyways, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take it from the top. Have you ever tried to keep your ability to write and deliver sermons on the down low from the new pastor? Because being capable of doing something does not necessarily mean that it's comfortable. But then somebody snitches on you and the new pastor, who is also smarter than you, knows that the easiest way to get you to excitedly agree is to give you carte blanche to talk about movies. I have. I don't know if I've ever actually qualified my competence in standing before you on any given Sunday to, de- to deliver a sermon. I don't actually have the credentials that you might expect or at the very least desire to be able to teach anything to anyone. I do have enough courage to write down words and stand up before you and say them out loud. I have plenty of conviction to believe everything that I am saying and just enough charisma and charm to maybe make you believe it too. I don't have the book smarts when it comes to the Bible or Christianity it is uh, in my heart, and I've often been told that that's a good place to start. And the Sunday school class uh, that I attend is slowly reading our way through the Bible at our own pace so that we can stop on a dime and ponder its meaning. What I lack for in Bible smarts, though, I more than make up for movie smarts. Sure, I could probably rearrange my schedule to uh, apply my energies into a vast biblical knowledge. This I cannot argue. But I've also identified that I am able to use movies as a form of evangelism, and that is one of the made urgencies of Christianity. While I don't have a fancy degree in Biblical theology, I do have the trifecta when it comes to movies. I have both literally and figuratively logged the hour. I am more than halfway to Malcolm Gladwell's definition of 10,000 hours to be an expert. While many would consider this to be ridiculous, I see that as an investment into the philosophical meanings of art, and by extension, life. too. I write essays on film in general and on specific movies. I have relationships with a handful of media distributors who send me copies of films specifically to consider them and write an essay. Uh, they are collected on a website, and this is a very highfalutin way of saying that I have a blog. And three, It has progressed to being the guest on various podcasts about movies as well as starting my own. While this does technically toot my own horn, I'm saying this to try and impress that I do not take movies and their meanings lightly. Films are art, whether they are critically lauded drama pieces or no-budget, independent horror films. It all boils down to a handful of artists communally working to tell a story and the vast majority of these stories exist to educate an audience as well as to entertain. As I had mentioned, the pastor asked me to take part in this film series, and while she and other guests will likely talk about very accessible movies, she, amazingly, trusted me enough to send me out into the weeds for a dealer's choice, as long as I can make it make sense. Several weeks ago, I was chatting with a friend about various sorts of evangelizing and what it could look like. He had told me a story about a church which has a Bible study at a local bar. He says that he hopes they keep it dry. And I said that I hope that they loosen up biblically. There are plenty of examples of temperance. I dig that. But at the same time, I struggle to imagine how well their evangelism works. In my chums example, employing temperance is biblically accurate and by having a Bible study in a bar, it's a great way of getting out into the community to try and engage them with the Lord. On the other hand, how does that look to that specific community? What I think, I would see is a group of holier than thou folks invading my space. They are coming here to make an example of me out of maybe the one thing that brings me joy. In my eyes, neither way is necessarily wrong. It's more of a Phillips versus a flathead screwdriver situation. So, movies. One thing that I enjoy doing is crafting themed double features. The first movie I want to talk to you about is one that few of you might have seen. It is the 1960s Richard Brooks film, Elmer Gantry. Handsome, opportunistic, immoral, traveling salesman Elmer Gantry is all this and more. When he stumbles into a revival meeting and discovers that he can hustle money in a tent show as easily as a saloon, Gantry converts to evangelism. Joining forces with Sister Sharon Falconer, he delivers demon-bashing oratories that bring fame and fortune. But when an old flame reappears, Gantry is forced to confront his demons of a more worldly order. Long-buried secrets that will make his saintly life a veritable hell on Earth. Wonderfully directed by Richard Brooks, in based on the best-selling novel by Sinclair Lewis, winner of three Academy Awards including Actor, Supporting Actress, and Adapted Screenplay. The film tracks a few months in the life of the title character Elmer Gantry, a fast-talking, lecherous, drunk salesman who lives a life, At the beginning of the film, on the cusp of almost a pseudo-spiritual awakening. It's clear that Gantry has a spiritual upbringing because he shows a decent and biblical IQ, and he knows the words of some hymns, it's it's in his DNA, but through the eyes of a churchgoer, he has also clearly lost his way. He lies, he sleeps around, hits the bottle a little too hard, and tries to connect to a local store owner with his lewd humor to try and sell a few vacuums or toasters. He hears some noises out the window to see a beautiful woman, Sister Sharon Falconer, preaching up a storm, and more and more people following her to a tent revival. Gantry's motivations are mortal, and he follows Falconer to try and get close to her and steal her away from her spiritual life towards one of physical love. Gantry soon sells Falconer on the idea that he can also preach, and could act as a counterpoint of hellfire and brimstone to her peace and prosperity, because both methods used together could double the effect of the tent revivals since different people react to different methods. Gantry is played masterfully by Bert Lancaster, who, for my money, is one of the best actors of the 1950s through the 60s. Gantry won him his only Academy Award, and I think you can see why here. Elma Gantry is an all-American boy. He's interested in money, sex. This uh, this Elmer Gantry. And what do you really know about him? His background, his reputation. And what does he want? Money, my job, you, what? Bill. In 1917, Mr. Gantry was expelled from a theological seminary in Kansas for seducing a Miss Lula Baines, the deacon's daughter, in the church where he had that day delivered a Christmas sermon. What the hell's the big idea? You really think I'd want to sit still for a shakedown? Baby, how could I put this place you? The old badger game, huh? Who's going to take the word of a five-buck hooker against Elma Gantry? I only wanted to see you for. For what? Well, for. For what? What do you think will get you into God's own glorious heaven? This Ace of Spades? Your bank book? Or this pledge to be a good Christian? I'd like to tear those holy wings off you, make a real woman out of you. I'd show you what heaven's like. No golden stairways or harp music or silvery clouds. Just ecstasy, coming and going. Sin, sin, sin. You're all sinners. You're all doomed to petition. What is a revival? Is it a church? Is it a religion? Or a- Is it a circus sideshow complete with freaks, magic, and rabble-rousing? You hate Gantry that much? Or do you love him that much? And you're no good to lady or yourself. You're no good to anybody. Shame! This, to me, is what people are likely to see with that first version of evangelism. What people would see is someone who is in perfect performance of Christianity. If you watch the entire film, you would know that this is not really who Gantry is, but I would say that people who overhear the barroom theology are not going to necessarily know that you are just as flawed as the next person. I personally have more in common with the real Gantry than the Ten Revival Gantry. But for a stranger who does not know me, if I railed out against sin holding a Bible as a shield to their undoubtedly radioactive evil, it is possible that they might come back to hear more and blanch their character. But it is much more likely that they will think that I am a false man who deflects his own flaws." Again, to the right people, this is the right method. And I completely recognize is that the aim of going out into the community is right there in the Bible, and that's the goal. What I am suggesting is that the better method is the second. Live a good life as upstanding as possible, but maybe use your perceived flaws as a tool to relate to people Then, occasionally, with no strings, make your faith known. So my pairing for Elmer Gantry with the theme of variations on evangelism is the 1954 masterpiece by Japanese director Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai. One of the most thrilling movie epics of all time, Seven Samurai tells the story of a 16th century village whose desperate inhabitants hire the eponymous warriors to protect them from invading bandits. This three-hour ride from Akira Kurosawa featuring legendary actors Tashira Mifune and Takashi Sun Shimura seamlessly weaves philosophy and entertainment, delicate human emotion, and relentless action in a rich evocative and unforgettable tale of courage and hope. Now, if I were to have expected that 40% of you had seen Elmer Gantry, I might expect that about 4% of you have seen Seven Samurai. Non-English films rarely play well in the States, and I can't argue that. But the waves on what you see as modern films would look vastly different without Kurosawa. Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and Francis Ford Coppola all credit Kurosawa with their vision of filmmaking. That would be a world maybe without Jaws, Star Wars, or The Godfather. I'm only using this to relate the importance of Kurosawa's film. Seven Samurai tells the story of Seven Samurais. A small village is consistently beset by mountain bandits who steal enough food from the village so that the people have barely enough to get by, but not enough to thrive, nor to protect themselves. The village elder tasks some of the men to go to a nearby city and try and hire, or convince, samurai to help them stop the bandits. The first character we meet is Kenbai, played by Kurosawa regular Takashi Shimura. We meet him as he is rendering his career void by shaving off his topknot, which, just trust me, is very important to samurais in the culture. He confuses the onlookers because it is completely out of character for a samurai, and they think he's lost his marbles. What he was, in fact, doing was changing his appearance to look like a monk. You see, around the corner is a madman who has kidnapped a child, and Kembe knew that the madman would only allow a monk providing food to enter the crime scene. Kembe does so, then uses the ruse to free the child. After Kembe learns that the village needs help and is willing to subside only on millet while offering the samurai their only asset of rice, Kembe sees this as an opportunity to help his neighbor in their time of need. At no point does he go out of his way to convince them to follow the way of the warrior. He is there to teach by example and help them with their problem. Kembe enlists the help of Kichikuru, Played by the Japanese version of Burt Lancaster, Toshiro Mifune, and uh, five other unique characters who go to the village to help teach the villagers to protect themselves, as well as helping them with the upcoming bandit attack. This probably sounds familiar to anybody who has seen the 1960 film The Magnificent Seven by John Sturgis, or the 2016 film. The Magnificent Seven by Antoine Fuqua. Both excellent directors in their own way. Logically, I would have chosen one of the two films over a Japanese flick, since they are in English and thus easier to follow. But, if my many years in various houses of Christ have taught me anything, it is that the Bible and Jesus aren't very easy to follow either. So we are all experienced with a little bit of challenge. It was the pastor's non-stop mentioning of neighbors and helping your neighbors, along with this conversation with my friend, When I started to tingle that Elmer Gantry and Seven Samurai would be a good double feature. To me, evangelism looks more like the latter. I don't excel at the blanket theological evangelism. It just doesn't fit my knowledge or my comfort. I'm not overly confrontational and I expect that the moment I start directly conversing about the Bible, I also expect that I would be bombarded with questions that I frankly cannot answer. And it seems unseemly to not be able to supply these answers myself. Like when you get a first caller on a blind sales call, oh, you're interested, hold on a moment while I transfer you to my sales manager. To me, being a film fan, I'm in an interesting place to chat with other people, connect with them on a personal level, and intermittently mention Christianity. To me, it does two things. First, It opens the door for people who now have a resource to someone who can relate to film on a different spiritual level than they may be able to, or be able to converse on a film which is directed by an atheist in which that director is battling with their own understanding of religion or of Jesus. The other idea is that it shows that Christians might have just the same uncommon, common interests as everybody else. A month ago, I was in Dallas at a horror film convention. The closest thing I got to mentioning Jesus on this trip was mentioning it to my Airbnb host, uh, that I was, one, uh, going to a horror convention, uh, which surely made me look a little kooky, and two, the lay leader at my church. I don't shy away from my faith, nor do I necessarily broadcast it. I want people to see me first, then see Jesus through me, helping without being asked, being A slightly slanted straight arrow will support your human rights will do anything possible to help you and then sit down on the couch and watch psycho with you i could be wrong i have a long history of being wrong and there are other variations on evangelism i'm sure of that but i've always wondered if i was alone and not being comfortable with that in-your-face interface of tent revivalists, the supposed super-Christian who is just as likely as flawed as I am, but wears a snappier suit? Or can my place in this house be that guy who knows about movies and will also wait too long holding a door just so somebody else does not have to? You don't need to know that I'm a Christian. You'll just see a guy being kind, and hopefully you might take a little moment to be kind to the next person. I think we can all agree that one of the places that Jesus lived is in kind gestures. That is my evangelism. I might be scruffy from time to time, but I'm also a reflection of Christ-like kindness. Or at least, I hope that I am. And I hope that I might infuse some people with a shimmer of Christian hope through my love of movies, whether they're silent films from the early 1900s, or maybe something a little less becoming of a stereotypically good, upstanding man of Christ. Which one is right? I'll tell you. I don't know. It's sort of a different stroke's for different folks, sort of sooner. Thank you. Okay, folks, it's me now, uh, in the future, I finished reading that for you. I do hope that uh, you, at the very least, found it interesting uh, if you're still me. If you have any questions, again, please feel free to reach out to me. Like that first-tier salesperson, I'd be happy to connect you with somebody smarter than I am, or answer the questions myself to the best that I can. I know that this is a very different episode than you're used to. There's no, I hope that you'll come back I really do. The next episode is uh, planned to be a little Ed Wood film called Take It Out and Trade. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Uh, Feel free to reach out to me. Again, thank you very much. This is Jason and the Film Ruminations Podcast.